Welcome to the Love Shared Podcast, the show that explores how God is moving in the community of the River Church in Redlands, California. We are on episode four tonight, so we're going to be talking about diversity in our church. Uh, and I think we're going to be talking both um, about diversity in the church little C and the church capital C, so the larger church as well. But uh, let's get things started by introducing our podcast's hosts. First, we have Nick Intout, who wakes up every day with a new way to take over the world and make my life miserable. Welcome, Nick. <laughs> hey, Lenny. Our second host is Terry Heemstra, who works to create something cool out of just about everything she comes across. She keeps Nick and me in line, uh, mostly Nick. And we also have David Carnes with us tonight, who, among other things, is a very talented changer of diapers. Thanks for being here, David and Terry. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, and my name is Mark Leonard. I was put on this earth to thwart Nick Etout's plans to take over the world. All right, uh, let's get on with our conversation about diversity. Terry, you have done a little digging, and you found some quotes for us to kind of wrap our minds around. Can you start us off with a quote? Sure, sure. Um, okay, so I, I kind of was searching around... Um, just to find some good resources um, on the topic and um, I kind of landed on the Christian Reformed Church um, I guess it's their resources um, page they had some several different things books and everything on uh, diversity in the church and one of the articles that they suggested was one called are You Colorblind? by Chris uh, Lahr, I think is how you say his last name. Um, and one of the things he said, well, he kind of talks about how he doesn't like the word colorblind when people use it. It's kind of a cliche thing to say, but he says, um, the reality in our society is that being colorblind simply means that we have no problem with people of color as long as they act like us. Um, now he's obviously specifically talking about race most of the time, but um, he talks a little bit more about, says, being a diverse church or university does not mean that you are simply add people of color into the mix, but that you carve out a space for them in all of their gifts and inadequacies so that they can truly be a part of a larger community. And really what he's just saying is that a lot of times a church... Um, or some of his ex uh, examples were a, uh, from a university, but um, is that we often want people from different races, genders, whatever, to come and be a part of what we're doing, but we want them to fit kind of our mold of what um, our, our university, our church is already doing, rather than embracing them and their gifts and what, they're, what they can sort of bring to the table for us. Um, we want them to sort of adhere to our rules or our things and so he's he's saying when we talk about diversity we really have to be careful that we're not doing that. Um, so is he talking about um, just this is how we do things in this church or is he talking about you don't mind other races or diversity as long as they're like us in shared values and kind of shared socioeconomic status and things like that or, or is it just Simply, when you come to our church, we do things our church way. Um, yeah, I mean, most of the examples he gave were actually from, like, university students. He talked to a school that was predominantly white, and he went into the school and asked a few of the um, 
students that were of other races that, you know, do you feel like you're included and whatnot? And they, they mostly talked about, you know, uh, sure, if you like their music or if you, if you are willing to deal with whatever they, you know, then you feel like you're accepted, but when it's sort of turned the other way. So it was kind of more generic idea, and most of the things he talked about were race, not necessarily like economic status, age, or, um, you know, other things, but it was, yeah, it was pretty general. Um, but I think it totally, I think it can apply to the church in that sense that we, we want them to come in and worship like we worship and this, this, that, and the other thing um, instead of saying, okay, you know, how can we include you into participating and being a part of um, these creative things or these um, different things that happen on it for our church? Does that make sense? I don't, I don't know if I answered your question exactly, but... Yeah, I Terry, I just want to <laughs> jump in here a minute too. Uh, as you're talking, I'm thinking about diversity and comfort and how those two things don't go well together. And it doesn't matter what kind of diversity you're talking about. I love the quote um, from that uh, that you started with, that we're comfortable as long as people act like us, um, as long as they act in a way that we're familiar with. Uh, and they respond to things similarly as we do, and that you know we can talk about similar things. But the minute something is kind of like strange or odd to us, we have like humanity just has this um, instinctual thing that uh, we want to push that away. You know, when things are different than us, uh, when we don't understand it, I think our natural inclination is to put that away, push that away. So I was sharing earlier, and I think I've shared this even in our church before that. The river and our denomination, uh, which come out of kind of a Dutch uh, Reformed, you know, root. That's our that's our place. That's our tribe or whatever. Had a phrase in the 50s, I think it was, right after World War II, um, and the phrase was that in isolation, like in remaining separate from Americanism, um, in isolation is our strength. And the goal was to remain ethnically homogenous uh, and to kind of be a church, a, a continuing Dutch church. Uh, and then this ran into some huge problems, obviously, because, uh, well, after the World War, they stopped letting a lot of Dutch people in the States. So some like 1,500 Dutch people a year were let in. And so um, that became a real problem for the church and for the Christian Reformed Church in North America. Uh, and so in the 80s, you had a guy, I forget what his name was, who wrote an article, um, and on the cover of it was um, wooden shoes, and, his, and he, it was something to the extent, I think the article was called, um, burn the wooden shoes. And the whole his whole point was that if we don't embrace, you know, like diversity, if we don't pursue uh, becoming a church that, you know, is goes beyond our own little clique, uh, then as a community, we're going to, we're going to die, and our community is going to die out. And so I think that was really interesting to me. Um, and I just, I guess I wonder what is it in people and us uh, that is afraid, or is it fear? Maybe it's not fear, or just uncomfortable with things that we don't understand, people that we don't understand. 
things that are, are different, people that are different than, than we are, whether that be socioeconomically or educationally or, um, you know, the color of someone's skin or the way that they grew up or, or whatever. Um, but yeah. we're programmed, we're programmed to um, be able to identify things or to be able to feel fear. We're programmed to feel fear and that is useful for our survival, right? And so... Um, when things are out of place or out of the ordinary or we don't recognize things to be what we're familiar with, there's some level of fear that automatically creeps in just out of a, a need for survival, I would think. That's just kind of programmed into us. I think we have to fight that uh, consciously, and it's not something... I think fear comes more naturally than acceptance. Right. Right. I, I gotta say, I think you're absolutely right, but I think the church especially is guilty of that. You know, we're we're programmed as humans to fear the unknown, to fear the outsider. But it, it seems like in the church we attach a holiness to to what we're doing. We figure if we've got this strong church already, that the outsider must really be a threat. That I, I think we kind of accentuate that that human nature sometimes. Because because God's involved. Yeah. Well, I love that's a great point, Dave. Um, that is the church. You know, we all heard the stat that the most segregated hour in the United States is the hour that people are in church or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I think one of the ways that we do that is, uh, and or maybe in the, like the modern era, we hide behind our theology. And our own kind of even theological jargon and the way we talk about God, and that the way we talk about God, and this is probably a way bigger discussion than what we're going to have tonight. But the way that we talk about Him, and uh, even the way we talk about the text, or the way that we talk about church, those things I think can present themselves as barriers to people who aren't a part of that tradition. And so the balance and the challenge is how do you hold on to things that are really important and meaningful to you, you know, words that you cherish as a community uh, that, you know, have a lot of weight and significance, and at the same time, be hospitable to those that aren't a part of that. That That's something I've been thinking a lot about, is how do we, how do we be the Christian Reformed Church and kind of hold on to distinctives and things that we love about, you know, being Christian Reformed? And at the same time, acknowledge and recognize that, you know, at the river, um, there's a ton of people that don't sort of speak that traditional Christian Reformed language about who God is and about who the church is and about who the Bible is and, you know, what the kingdom of God is and all this stuff. So that's one of the challenges I feel like uh, as a community we have right now is how do we hold on to that distinctive and at the same time pursue... Uh, this thing that God is calling us into as a community. <clears throat> cue, cue the cricket little thing on the, on the hangout. There's like a cricket button that you can push. Well, I didn't want to jeopardize there, but I say as a as a former outsider, I mean, I was raised Catholic, and coming into the river, the Christian Reformedness of the church is, is strong. The Dutchness of the church is is strong with, with the church here. And I guess the cop out answer is 
what is biblical and what is just the way it's always been done. And I mean, every every denomination, every faith is guilty of that. But um, I honestly don't know the answer to that one. But maybe that's that's where we start. Yeah, that's a great that's a great call. I didn't know that, Dave. By the way, that you were raised Catholic, but mm-hmm. you know the Catholic Church is a great example of someone who or a, a, an organization that has preserved certain traditions and a way Absolutely. of talking about God across cultures. Uh, you know, and at the same time, been hospitable to people um, outside of you know outside of that. Mm-hmm. But if you were to just go from like whatever a, a evangelical church and step into a you know a catholic mass uh, you wouldn't necessarily, yeah you wouldn't necessarily <laughs> yeah. speak that language either right no not a chance and you know so so we're all certainly guilty of it but the question is how do you how do we figure out what is just tradition for tradition's sake and what's tradition for god's sake for the biblical sake i suppose you, well he, here's the question and this was posed at the council retreat this year, um, our church council this fall went on a retreat, and this was what our elders and pastors and deacons that were there uh, kind of noticed. Right, is that there is this um, there is this thing happening at our church right now, and one of the elders posed the question: If diversity isn't actually like the most normal thing, uh, is if diversity isn't what happens naturally and as communities what we generally do is um, put barriers um, <laughs> go ahead the chat. <laughs> I'm so glad we found the group chat function well diversity I, I heard an interesting perspective on that the other day that the church has gotten messy over the last year. I mean, you got the lunch bunch. You got, um, you know, trying to focus on bringing in outside outside groups and really, really taking it from being a bunch of old white Dutch people to something a little more representative of our community. Um, it's messy, and that is scary to a lot of people. But it's also kind of the Great Commission, I guess you'd say. It's it's what we're told to do is to go out to everybody. Um, again, it, you know, it's a bit of a cop-out, I suppose. It doesn't really uh, tell us a lot, but yeah, I think yeah, that's a is good. It's, it's a cop-out when you quote the Bible, David. I know. It's just awful. No, I, I like it. I think you're right. It, it, is, it is really messy. Um, I guess my question would be for us as a community, maybe you can answer this too as an outsider. You know, Leonard is kind of an outsider too coming from North Dakota. Um, Minnesota, I mean, my friend. Minnesota, whatever, it's the same thing. It's all cold and north. You can't get much more outside than that. Uh, but what are the barriers? You know, what are the barriers to diversity in, you've said it a couple times, Dave, you know, old Dutchness or whatever. Um, I guess I would want to know, and I think our council was asking the question, what things get in the way of our community um, celebrating diversity uh, as opposed to, you know, kind of trying to push out people who are different. It has to be intentional. It's not. I don't think it's going to come naturally because it, it isn't natural to humans to associate with 
unfamiliar people or unfamiliar uh, contexts. We crave familiarity and we crave we crave what is known to us and what is comfortable to us. So unless we are intentionally walking across the aisle to that person who looks like they live a completely different life than us and shaking hands with them and talking with them and asking questions about their life, it won't happen. So I think we're kind of touching on a couple of different things. Nick, you're talking a little bit about how we talk about God and how we talk about the church. To me, are you getting into the Christian Reformed theology tradition? Or are we talking about simply about relationships and being willing and capable of sitting at a table with people who are of a different age, different socioeconomic background, different uh, race or whatever it is that it makes them different? When we walk into the fellowship hall, where do we go? Do we go sit with our friends that we know and are comfortable with, or do we go to the strangers that well, we've never had a conversation with? I can do that at McDonald's. Then do it. Well, I did. I did that today, and I love McDonald's for that reason. It's really diverse. That stuff will kill you. you do you know that? I just drank a cup of coffee. It's actually taste test McDonald's like smoked Starbucks. So I thought your pores looked a little clogged <laughs> right now. It's the air in McDonald's. But, I mean, the the reality is that churches, you know, we're, we're saying uh, we're a people gathered under the vision that God has for the world and under the blood of Christ. And, you know, we're a spirit people. Uh, so that's why I said the language that we we use dictates some of, you know, who gathers. The way we talk, if, if I go hang out with a bunch of scientists and they start talking science jargon, I'm an outsider. I don't speak that language, and I'm immediately cut off. That's a barrier to my being able to sit at the table with them. You know what I'm saying? So I, I guess I want to identify what are the barriers in our community to diversity, to uh, us becoming, continuing to become. Because, I mean, from, from where our community was 10 years ago, from where the river was 10 years ago, it's definitely a more diverse community socioeconomically, you know, like David said, in part because of the lunch bunch. But even uh, ethnically, you know, we're, we're more diverse um, than we were 10 years ago. And there have been a number of things that people tried. You know, the Spanish-speaking um, worship service was, I think, an attempt at acknowledging and um, getting behind that movement of God uh, in our community. But um, yeah, even even that, maybe there were there were barriers there. You know, things like is our location a barrier to diversity? Is where our church is located a barrier? That's what I wanted to try to ad- identify. What are what are physical uh, linguistic, um, but that's a rabbit hole you could never get out of. I, I mean, you could lift. That's my job here those... is to, is to dig rabbit holes that you can't get out of. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do, Len. I think that's but that's a never-ending quest, right? I mean, there will always be barriers to fighting the human nature of sameness, and hey. so it's a matter. I mean, it's not a matter of eliminating all of the barriers because I don't think that's practical. I think when Carnes when Carnes cops out, at least he drops Bible verses. <laughs> when you cop out, you just say the problem will always be with us. There's no point trying to fix it. <laughs> just like that's the poor thing. Exactly. See, I was quoting the Bible. You just didn't recognize it. Well, I gotta say, if we're talking cop outs, um, I guess the the counter maybe to even my question or 
my argument would be uh, at what point are we how do you define a church's turf a church's territory so to speak and we're not biker gangs here but you know is our responsibility to take care of the the Dutch white folks in in our community um, our physical community without moving into the doors the packing you know packing houses and the other churches in the area I mean should we focus more on partnering with them rather than trying to not represent our community and that's not to say we aren't I do think we have a lot of a long ways to go before we are truly representing even the community around us you know even the the physical two mile radius around the river um, but you know maybe we're not going to be a 50% Dutch 50% African American community because that's not who we're serving um, yeah I don't think we can be everything to everyone uh, we have to we're going to be a community of some sharedness somehow some say something's going to make us the same in some way and uh, it, it it's just a matter of what is it that we want to have uh, that gravitational center be what what do we want that to be and Nick you're gonna say we want it to be the love of God of course that's what's going to bring us together and make us all the same but uh, oh, are you are you not saying that's what it is go a little deeper than that try try recognizing that we are a broken people and while we're on this earth we're going to continue to be broken people how do we how do we do that while being broken well I think you're continuing to dodge my question which would just be uh, sorry about the contentiousness here Lynn if you can but... dodge a wrench you can dodge <laughs> <laughs> you can dodge contention on a love shared podcast Hey, uh, what are what are the barriers then to to that diversity? I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and and just questioning whether or not diversity is a good goal, and that's what our council was asking: is this a goal to pursue, uh, or is this something that is is happening in our midst? And what can we do to come alongside of it? Um, how can we best serve? Uh, David, I loved your question of just, you know, at answering the question, why, who is our church here to serve? If, you know, that was a question the river started asking seven or eight years ago, if we didn't exist, who would care? You know, what people would cry out in the street, hey, where's, where's the mercy and kindness and love and goodness that used to be present, um, you know, in that, in that community of people and their generosity you know, their presence uh, made the city and the area better. And who would cry out? I think it's really clear right now that there would be a, a you know, a growing community of people who would who would call out and say, mm -hmm. you know, where where's that community? Where's that place? That's our, you know, those are our people. And, um, you know, that's not necessarily in part to anything that was done intentionally and anyone at the rivers or, or, or any like even though the the leadership aside from a, a few families um, but I think it's really uh, you know impacted all of us in some really powerful ways so where going forward uh, how do we continue to see that movement and remove anything and barriers that would be in the way that might prevent 
that from continuing to, to flourish? That That's the question that I... I think that um, you talk... One of the things that I struggle with when people start talking about diversity is that you were sort of saying this, um, is that there there's this goal that's being stated. We have a goal to create diversity. And I actually really dislike that when people say that because... I don't think that our goal should be to create diversity. I think our goal should be, right, we said this already kind of, but to share God's love, right? Um, and this other quote the guy that I had, this, he was saying, you know, it should be to create a community of reconciliation and unity. That should be where our goal is. And from that, if we have a goal of that happening, that we're reaching out to the people in our in our community that that we're able to love on the people that are you know in arm's reach and really like be God to and be light to these people around us then we're gonna that diversity is gonna form because we're willing to put ourselves out there we're willing to you know um, reconcile with those around us and love on those around us and um, and then people and like you're saying you know then when we go, you know, when if we were to go away, people would would want to say, you know, hey, what happened? Where is the where are those people that showed us the that unity and that reconciliation and that love? And I think that's where I get I get I start getting a problem when people start talking about diversity because I think that that's what they're doing. Their their goal is like, how can we see there be different people? Where our goal should yeah. be, how can we love on people? And then when there are different people, they embrace that and say, oh, this is awesome. Let's keep on loving people, yeah. no matter who so, they are. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a – oh, go ahead, Dave. No, I don't mind. I'm going to follow it up after you because it's going to be uh, – All right. Well, you can – we can love on people all day, but, um, you know, it, I don't know if that – answers the question so much. Um, I mean, diversity for diversity's sake is absolutely a distraction, and uh, it distracts us from being able to really serve the community, but it, we need to be served, we need to figure out who our community is, and I guess that's the ultimate question, is who is our community that we're serving? Uh, you know, maybe five years ago we wouldn't have said the same thing we say today, because we'd, we didn't have a lunch bunch then. But I, I don't know, David, have, it, it, David, it sounds like you work for a marketing agency. Used to, <laughs> but we'll get into that. That's another show. Uh, but uh, the community is is the people around us. It's the people that have been part of the church. But I think if we can define who we're responsible to, uh, that I think that answers the diversity question. Uh, it's not just we have an ideal measure. We got to figure out who we're who we're serving here. Who are we responsible for? Who are we responsible to? And it yeah. can't and it can't be everybody. It, it can't. No, it's definitely not everybody. It's it's got to be geographic. Um, you know, the physical con you know physical boundaries of the church and other churches in the area kind of give us some bit of a box. But you know, it's also clearly the homeless community in Redlands, which is. A little more geographically uh, ambiguous, um, you know, people that have moved away, families, you know, maybe they're still part of our community because they they want to be here, they they drive in. So it's not entirely geographic, but I think there are 
clear physical ways to define it. I don't think it's completely ambiguous and um, and undefinable. All right, Nick, what are you going to say? Well, first off, Dave, that was beautiful. Um, that <laughs> was you. great. No, I loved the emphasis on geography. And that's, I think, in um, the last, I don't know, 5 or 10, 15 years, there's been uh, a move more and more toward, uh, you know, churches becoming like readopting the whole parish model, right? Mm -hmm. And committing to a certain section of the city or a certain people or a certain group or whatever and kind of covenanting with that place and reestablishing even like a theology of place and uh, seeing that place flourish. Uh, my, my question, I guess, and I don't know how big the geography at as a, the river community we've identified, you know, what's our geographical area that we're talking about. Uh, we obviously have people who are commuting from all over, um, you know, Beaumont, all the way from Beaumont. I mean, you've got people like the Leonard's driving in and, um, the mountain people. Know, the, <laughs> the mountain <laughs> people. Um, so, you know, I don't know that they necessarily said, Hey, this is the space and the geographic area. Maybe that would be a, a good exercise to try to identify that. But I want to come back to something Terry said, and that was um, that the goal should be for a church to be a community of reconciliation. And this is a city that is inherently divided. And I would even say at some level segregated. Um, what we tend to do is, I think, to kind of put our head in the sand and say that's just the way it is. That's the way things are. Um, that's how they've always been. And there's not a whole lot we can do about that. Um, we ask the question, well, am I responsible for that? Am I my brother's keeper? Because they're on the other side of the tracks or the other side of whatever. Um, I think that uh, as a church, what excites me most about this idea of being a community of reconciliation is telling a story as a, as a church community that's better than the one that's being told by our city. So our city might be content with the fact that we are segregated, that certain people live in North Redlands and other people live in South Redlands or certain people live in East Beaumont and then West Beaumont or whatever your place is. Um, certain people go to this school, others go to that school. Certain people live, you know what I'm saying? Um, and our, our city feels, I think people are content with that. And I would say a church is a people who said, no, we've, we've agreed that God has reconciled all things to himself and is reconciling all people to himself. And that means as a community, we have some responsibility for whoever that is on the other side of the street, tracks, whatever. Um, and so I think when we talk about diversity, why the conversation is important is it because it identifies the reconciliation that's necessary. I mean, we're coming off of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I just saw the movie uh, Selma with somebody from our church um, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, and the theater was, was packed with African-American folks who um, just applauded at the end of the movie, you know, Martin Luther King Jr.'s work, but also there was just the awareness um, that th it's not over, you know, that this isn't, this is not at all over what he started. 
Um, there was a guy in our church recently from um, Arizona. His name is Mark Charles, and he works on behalf of the Navajo Nation, um, working to see reconciliation happen among Native people and even among Native Christians and other Christians, and is deeply passionate about, about that. Um, and it's seeing the church become um, more and more diverse, not for the sake of diversity, but for the sake of reconciliation. So I guess... But I think that's a theme that we can rally around. So when, when I talk about that central gravitational point that brings us a community uh, together around something, that kind of a theme, telling a story that's better than the stories that they're hearing from other communities could be a central gravitational point, but that's something that our church leadership has to embrace, and then we have to implement it uh, somehow effectively from from the top down and the bottom up at the same time almost. I wanted to, just to uh, make my point again, since I really only have one point in that you can't do everything, uh, but the I took an ec economics class uh, and the definition I thought was interesting, the definition of economics from this professor's point of view was the science of how and why human decisions allocate resources creating winners and losers in the game of life. So with every human decision of allocating resources, we create winners and losers in the game of life. And I think that's how, that's how everything works in our broken world is when we start talking about, um, you know, who are we serving, we're going to start making decisions on how do we allocate resources to serve those people, and when we do that, we are going to create winners and we're going to create losers in the allocation of, of those resources and decisions. Well, first of all, that is a ridiculous quote because <laughs> the game of life, this is a college professor talking about the game of life. I don't know, I gotta say, as a as an econ major, I think he's spot on. Yeah, baby. Um, spot on. The, the, the trick <laughs> is we've got to figure out who are who are we responsible to. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna let loose on Nick. Who do we need this who podcast to, to kind of come up with some coherent uh, reason for Mark's quote there. Uh, it's who do we want the winners to be? You know, who is our who is our community? Uh, yeah. So to well, some extent, you go to the parish model. That's I guess something I'm certainly familiar with. Um, but, bringing, you know, but once the, you start answering that question, you're you're saying who is our community and who is not. That is the sure. implied second question follow up. No, question. absolutely. Uh, and so, to so so, so I guess you're going to say then everybody is right. Go ahead, Nick. Say everybody. I know no, you want I'm, it to be everybody. I don't want it to be everybody. I, I really don't. I just I, and I agree with you that it has to be somebody. And if we say everybody, then we're really saying nobody. Um, so I do totally uh, need some clarification on this whole like economics is a system whereby we create winners and losers with money or something like that. Do you want me to read the quote again? I, not really. I it's just not, want to... It's not money. It's it's resources. So resources. Time, we mean money. You can only spend. Uh, it, it yes, it does mean money, but it also means resources. It means okay. the time so, that our deacons spend 
in ministering to widows, to homeless, yes. is yes. necessarily not spent on someone else. That but doesn't mean that we're... When you start planning your your sermon for this Sunday, are you thinking about the the uh, the yuppie uh, the yuppie guy with uh, Warby Parker glasses? You with or, the red striped headphones? Or are you thinking I'm writing this sermon for uh, for someone who has been living outdoors for the last uh, 12 months or 16 months? Because I, well, I, I, used, that decision. I used to think about those people, but now I'm going to start thinking about you. I feel like maybe maybe you probably need to hear whatever I got to say more than they than anybody else. You know, I'd appreciate a little more relevancy in your sermons, quite frankly. Hey, to the non-Lutherans crowd. Here's here's the assumption and and maybe even like the underlying hubris in some of what you're talking about in terms of economics. Hubris? Really? Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> assumption is we have what they need, and. Why is that? Level, that's not the assumption. No, no, no. Well, at some level, that's true uh, in terms of money, maybe. There, there may be times when the church has some sort of money and the deacons, whatever, assist. But I would say, um, in like, even biblically, you could make a really good case that it's the those who are poor, poor in spirit, those uh, who have what the church really needs. And so um, it's, and that is a, a dependent relationship on God. Uh, they are in a place uh, where there's a desperation and a need for God that some of us don't have because I go to my fridge and it's full of, you know, food and like three weeks worth of leftovers. So you don't like that hubris comment, huh? No, I didn't like that at all. Well, it's the assumption that we have the answer, and and they have whoever they is the need. When I think I, I the reality, I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm I think saying whichever we, side of the coin you're on, once you start making decisions, it doesn't matter what side of the coin you're on. Once you start making decisions, you're making decisions for someone and not for someone else, and. It could be you could be we could be part of a church in the poorest part of Redlands, and <laughs> oh, I love this guy. this chat thing is ridiculous. We're I making really a new rule. That's not being broadcast. <laughs> we're not ma we're making a new rule. Nick can if no I can chat. if I can kind of square this circle or whatever the proper business term is. Um, I, sorry, I've got a whiny dog here at the same time. Um, are you talking about Nick? Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a whiny something. If we're trying to define the community, that yes, we as a global church are responsible for everybody as a as a globe. But you do necessarily have to subdefine just to be able to get anything done. So our our church is responsible for our community, for the neediest in our community, though, and that's certainly something that needs to be. Um, certainly noticed, both spiritually and, and um, financially, physically, whatever it is. It's, we, we're responsible for the neediest there. Last, last point, and then I'm going to let you, let you um, wrap it up, Len. Uh, I think this is why the idea and the like even theological idea of covenant is really, really important, and why I like the fact that our church has something like membership. Um, I've been on a little bit of a kick recently with people about membership and why I think it matters even in like youth ministry. Um, 
because we live in a culture that is incredibly where relationships are just really disposable and transient. And one of the things that appeals to me about at least the idea of, maybe not so much the practicality of it, but the idea of a covenant is that we have committed to one another. We've committed ourselves to one another. And that goes for the person who comes in who lives on the street, and they're saying, hey, I am for this community, and I'm bringing my gifts and talents and the things that, um, you know, that I'm passionate about. I'm bringing them here. Uh, as, a, as an offering to everybody um, and to God and the people who come with whatever, the, who are the winners, Mark Leonard's winners, um, they come and say, uh, I've got this and that and the other thing and I am covenanting to this community, but I also, I need things. You know, I need um, meaning in my life. I need a, a, a reason um, and a vision for existence. Uh, I need friends. I need people who I can be real with and vulnerable with. And I think that concept of covenant in terms of even finding, um, you know, where we're headed uh, is really, really important. That we're ultimately not even really a place so much as a people and uh, and a people that are covenanted to one another and to God. And I think that's kind of exciting and um, maybe a note to close on unless Mark has something else. I wanted to say something too. I think um, that we talk about diversity in the sense like, we we think that we're doing a service to somebody by by trying to be diverse and bring people in and and we, even when you're talking about winners and losers and what are we giving them and what are we providing for them and what are we doing for them and I think we have to remember too that um, when we invite people in and we have and and we allow this like openness we're getting something out they're providing a gift for us as well I think um, one of the things uh, one of the parts of the quotes also said you know we're gaining an appreciation of that which is different and allowing those differences to speak life to us so it's not just us reaching out and saying we want you to be a part of this it's they're there we're gonna be getting something awesome out of it too and God's gonna speak life into us um, and I think that we have to remember that too. Like we're not just trying to include others and give them stuff and and, and do things for them. They're going to be giving things back to us, and they're going to be providing gifts and stuff for to us as well. And that's part of that community and that membership and that covenant and um, those relationships. And that's a right. huge thing. So yeah. in all in all seriousness, I think when Nick, when I hear you talking about what it is that you would like to make our commonality, our, the thing that we have um, in common with each other, uh, that all makes sense to me. And I think that that has to be well thought out and well spoken from the pulpit. I, I think that the church leadership has to teach us how to think and speak to each other in those terms and look at each other in ways that says, you know, these are our differences, but that's not why we're in the same room right now. That's not why we're worshiping together. We're worshiping together because we have these things in common, and those we need to be trained to see those things first before we see the differences. And I think that's a little bit of what Terry is talking about too. But I think it has to come from when you get down to the the how do we actually execute on this? It has to. We have to be taught to do that as a congregation, and we have to be taught it from our teachers. That's on that's on you. 
That's on you. Nice handoff. All right, so I've got the last word. That is our show. We have shared some love here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. If you were listening live, and if you're not, thanks for downloading this episode. You can download more episodes if you go look for us on iTunes. Hey, leave a comment if you can. Good, bad, or indifferent comments help us. Search for The River Church or just go to theriverCRC.com. That's where you'll find links to the podcast feed, the blog, and a bunch of other good stuff about our church community that we are continuously forming. We welcome your feedback. If you've got some ideas for the show, we'd love to hear from, hear from you. Uh, we might not do any of them, but we'd love to hear them just the same. Find us. <laughs> In church, or send us an email. Send an email to theriverCRCblog at gmail.com. Have I got that right, Terry? Yes. TheriverCRCblog at gmail.com. All right, David. Thanks for joining us. I hope. Yeah, David. This, thank this you. Thank a you for having me. It's a pleasure. Terry and Nick, I like you um, unevenly. Uh, and I won't say who I is on the top of that. So uh, thank you guys and have a good night. All right. Thanks. Thank How beautiful are the feet of the ones who share the good news of God.